welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Sean Fletcher from The Op Games. Sean is one of their exclusive designers and the key designer on Disney's Sorcerer's Arena, Epic Alliances. Fletch, welcome to The Binge. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's so awesome to have you on here. Uh, man, I think everybody knows about The Op, right? So uh, there's a history there of Monopoly games and so forth and the different mm -hmm. iterations of that and now getting into licensed uh, property. So it's, it's really cool to have you on here as a designer and kind of talking about that. Um, kind of just to start off with, uh, when did you join The Op? I've been with The Op for about four and a half years now. Uh, 2018, I started at The Op. Um, and it's been fantastic. It's just been such a joy to work with this team. I'd had an opportunity prior to officially working with The Op. Uh, I, I invented the engine for Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, which The oh, Op wow. licensed from the studio that I was at. Uh, so I'd actually had a chance to work with some of the folks from the op uh, in, in seeing that grow and develop into uh, what it is. And so when the opportunity came up to join the team officially, um, it, it was kind of a no brainer for me. It was it was a, a group that I'd seen a lot of passion from uh, that had some great games in the portfolio and that, that really welcomed me uh, when I came in to start. Oh, that's amazing. And so what were you doing before then? Like, so how long have you been kind of in the gaming industry? Is this something you've done pretty much out of school or was it something you kind of oh, happened into? No, How'd that no, kind no. of? Uh, I, I got my degree in graphic design uh, at RIT in Rochester, New York. Oh, wow. Uh, in uh, 1999. <laughs> okay. and it, yeah. So I was a graphic designer and, and freelance art director uh, for several years. Um, and then around 2006, I want to say 2007, I actually struck up a conversation online with a guy named Mark Rosewater. Okay. You may have heard of, he's the head creative guy for Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Um, and that led to me doing some design work for the Shadowmoor uh, expansion for Magic. Um, and then from there, uh, I went back to graphic design for a few years, worked for another studio in Seattle as a graphic designer. Uh, and then because that studio primarily did game invention, they eventually looked at what I could do and my skill set. And they said, you know what? Um, there's a lot of graphic designers out there. There aren't so many people that do board game and, and design and have that experience and that skill set. So let's just move you from this chair to that chair. And so I did uh, board game design largely for kids games, um, mm. but st started to sort of shift into to hobby games over the, the tenure uh, of my my duration there. Um, and then, like I said, 2018, I uh, moved down to the San Diego area and started with the op. And then when you when you talk about like, um, you know, going from like graphic design and into kind of game design. So was it designing of the artwork and kind of things like that for the games? Or did you get like deep into the actual uh, creating the game itself, like the game design, so to speak, right? Mechanics and so forth. Well, that was kind of that transition over the stretch yeah. uh, when I was in Seattle. Uh, like I said, I, I was a freelance graphic designer and art director, and I was brought into a studio uh, specifically to to be a graphic designer. They liked the fact that I had game 
design in, in my background because it gave me a better understanding of how components should be designed to fit together visually, et cetera. Sure. And um, yeah, it, it just sort of slowly over time that, that needle shifted from graphics to game design. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, uh, it was a really interesting stretch. And, and even now I find myself drawn towards getting involved in the, the creative and art side of things, but I have to kind of hold myself back because <laughs> we have an entire very skilled and experienced team to do that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to stop them from doing the amazing work that they already do. Yeah, it's got to be tough, right? Uh, when it's something that you've been involved with in the past to not want to say, well, wait a second, guys, you know, have you thought about X, Y, Z? And I think that's the hardest thing to do sometimes for people is to kind of sit back and say, you know, let let the team that are professional, uh, their part kind of kind of do it, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's a skill set that still comes back in useful ways without treading into another department's role. Yeah. Um, when I build prototypes now, one of the big things I think about is does usability of the prototype impact the gameplay experience? And is that going to uh, negatively or positively affect the, the accessibility that people have when they're trying to learn some new, some kind of new game? Yeah. Are you still, uh, you know, obviously you've got, way more resources at your hands than you would have had say 10, 12 years ago. Um, but is there ever a time when you're, you're literally cutting out paper still? Oh, uh, and prototyping? Um, oh really? And it's interesting because um, when, uh, when the, the pandemic hit and all of the offices were closing in, uh, was it 20 early 2020? Yeah. Um, there was a, a little bit of a scramble. People stopping in at the office to pick up, you know, supplies of dice, and and we've got bins of of dice and timers and sure. blank cards and things like that. Uh, but I started working from home, and I, without being at the office, a lot of it was, I've got a little printer here behind me, and I was printing off sheets of cardstock and cutting it out by hand and putting it in card sleeves so that everything was approximately the same. Yeah. Um, and, and even then I was building prototypes physically of games that I would then travel into the office, drop off on people's desks and then sneak back out so that other people could come in, get the, the prototype off their desk. And then we would do video calls a lot like this, where I'd put my phone on a little tripod and we'd watch the, the board and tell people what we were doing. Um, but yeah, that was all very, apart from the fact that it was all done over the web, it was all very low tech. How is the the submission process for, I mean, you can say how much you're allowed to say, but sure. um, in your role, is it mainly assignment based where it's like, okay, I need you to create XYZ for this? Or is there an element of your role where you can bring ideas to the table and say, hey, I had an idea for something, not sure what light you know license we have that we would wrap this in but here's an idea for kind of a cool mechanic or cool game idea like yeah. how does that balance work in in your day-to-day -day work it's it's very fluid um mm. and it's the kind of thing where if we we have a team of game designers here uh, game developers and some of us have specialties i work in the hobby hub we've got somebody that works in the, the family and party games hub um but we meet a couple of times a week and if somebody says you know what I've got this idea I've been noodling on this, this it's, it's scratching an itch for me. And I gotta, I gotta share this with everyone. We'll take a look at it. We'll kick the idea around, brainstorm with it, you know, debug it, whatever we have to do. 
And then we really look at it and, and say, is this a game that we can publish with a license, without a license? Um, it's, a, it's a really, um, the, the, the team is a great place to incubate game ideas. Sure. Um, and we're not afraid to look from both directions as, as far as like, is there a partner out there that we think would be a great, you know, game to work with, uh, to, to put an IP with, or is there something that we're doing from scratch that's, that's completely brand new? No, that's cool. And a lot of designers I talk to, uh, myself included, um, have kind of like, for lack of a better word, like a drawer of game ideas that, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of work on it, incubate it a bit. And it's like, mm, it's not quite there. Not sure it fits here. I'll park that. I'll go on to something else. And then sometimes coming back to that and taking elements from that and then kind of plugging it onto some new concepts, new ideas. Do you guys do that? Do you go back to some prior concepts you maybe absolutely start developing, but didn't necessarily fully execute? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pat Marino, who who is my boss here at the the company whom I work with, yeah. uh, has he's been working with the the rising platform for a while, yeah. and it's always fascinating to see uh, where he can take the original mechanics from um, uh, Thanos Rising, which was developed at the op before I even joined, um, and it, it's gone through uh, a Star Wars theme. It's gone through a SpongeBob SquarePants theme. Um, and most recently, he worked on uh, an Avatar, uh, the, the the last Airbender theme, um, Fire Nation Rising. Mm -hmm. And through each of those iterations, he was able to take some new idea and say, okay, here's what is familiar, and here's this new idea that I've I've been working on that fits into it this new way, or you know, in that direction, or it it, it it's a way of using familiar ground to explore new ideas. And that happens a lot with what we do. Yeah. And when you're doing your prototyping, so in a game we're going to talk to in a couple of seconds here, uh, which has a lot of standees in it, which look super yeah. cool. Look super cool. They look but, great. Uh, is that something where you're, are you, I, I guess you're cutting out paper for those and you're kind of making your own standees or, or how do you handle that when you're doing your prototyping? Like it, what, what analog do you use while you're kind of going through the development part? Well, for the for the game that we've we've just teased here, yeah. um, most of my prototyping is actually digital. Uh, mm. I work using Tabletopia, which is okay. a, a free online web browser, web web based uh, virtual tabletop gaming space. Uh, and I will just find whatever you know low res assets I need mm. uh, and and plug them into the prototype so that we can do play testing anytime we want online with folks all over the country. Um, and a, as a graphic designer, as that being my background, uh, I use uh, Adobe InDesign to do all nice. my card layout and I can just export yeah. my files as PNGs. This is all the technical in the weed stuff that, you know, most no, people are cool. going to understand or care about. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I make my PNG files, upload them into Tabletopia. And it's great because if we find something that's buggy or needs some adjustment, I can go right back to my InDesign files, make my edits right then and there. And within five minutes have a whole new set of, cards and components in the digital prototype without yeah. having to break out the sharpies no it's awesome and do you guys ever use tabletop simulator or is it predominantly uh, tabletopia 
we stick to Tabletopia mm. largely because we had to learn one system. And <laughs> we went with the one that was free for people to use. Yeah. Tabletop Simulator is great, but you've got to have Steam or, or you know, whatever other yeah. platform you're using for that. Um, and with Tabletopia just being web browser based, no one had to download anything special. Everyone's got a browser. So you just fire that up and you're ready to go. Everyone has access to it and so forth. Yeah, the InDesign, I can relate. Uh, I think you're talking about like data merge, right? In uh, InDesign. So you can- Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, create your spreadsheet. And then, you, okay, I need to make a couple of changes to the hit point values or whatever. I'll make them on the yep. spreadsheet, hit enter, and uh, InDesign will automatically do all the combinations, permutations. You can oh, update yeah. 100 cards in one, in one shot, right? In, in right. literally a minute. Right. And Which so much of so much of the work I do these days is in spreadsheets. Like yeah. you wouldn't expect game design to be so just like Excel. <laughs> just plug yourself into Excel and stare at a grid for you know the next five hours. Yeah. Uh, but now there there really is a lot of uh, kind of mundane feeling things that go into making much cooler things in the long run. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me about um, the Disney Sorcerer's Arena um, uh, Epic uh, Alliances. So uh, I'm going to show it on the screen here for people that are that are watching. Yeah. Um, so this game, how, when did you start working on this game? Obviously, there's, <laughs> I imagine there's years of work here, but kind of talk us through the process of this thing coming together, including the expansions. Sure. So this actually came to us from Disney, uh, and that, that happens sometimes. Sometimes we will create a platform and then say, hey, Disney, hey, you know, whomever, we think we've got a game here. Let's, let's partner on this. Mm -hmm. This was a special case where uh, the Disney mobile team that created the Disney Sorcerer's Arena mobile game came to us and said hey we've got this idea for a game we're working on we, we haven't even really launched it yet but we like tabletop games and we don't have the skills to make one can you do it for us and my boss looked at me and said dude you're uh, yeah. a game designer who loves <laughs> disney i think i think this project lands on your your plate yeah and i was thrilled uh, we first heard about it i want to say maybe early 2019 and we didn't really have a solid base to start from as far as like, are there art assets? Are there videos and demos of what the gameplay in the, in the mobile game is going to be like? Uh, we started right as the pandemic kicked in and all the lockdowns were happening. Uh, so I was working from home when I started developing Disney Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliances. And the process really was a matter of learning to play the mobile game and then deconstructing it to find what are the things that are going to translate well to tabletop what are the things that make this game so sticky so that i, I want to keep coming back and playing it yeah uh, what are the things that we can do with tabletop that they couldn't do with mobile and vice versa and how do we create something that feels very uh loyal to the spirit of the mobile game but also is a whole new experience on the tabletop and the big change that we made was that uh, in a tabletop space, you can move pieces around. And you mentioned the standees. We wanted a reason yeah. to have standees. In the mobile game, there's no movement. Hmm. Uh, so you, you pick your characters and they digitally sit in specific preset spaces on the table and they yeah. fight. Uh, we wanted that movement because it gave us a reason to put cool components in the box and also gave us uh, some really strategic, strategic tactical 
uh, space to explore with the yeah. game. Yeah, the stand. One of the things that stood out to me right away on the on the standees, and again, I'm going to show it on the screen here because it's uh, super cool. I geek, I geek out over any kind of board game kind of elements that um, that add to the experience, right? So anytime someone can do something creative with a standee or do something creative with the um, components of the board that that seem a little unique or kind of a twist on other concepts. Uh, I absolutely love it. So the standees have this kind of base that um, has like a dial on it, right? So you're kind mm -hmm. of dialing kind of, for lack of a better word, the the hit points on on each of the characters, uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I've seen iterations of this in other games, but not quite like this. So I thought this was really cool. And then on the um, the sideboard where you have your, your characters uh, lined up, um, you've got these status effects. And again, I'm showing a picture here on screen and they kind of, notch in beside your characters which I, yeah, I, the, I like that kind of way that kind of fits right the turn order tiles are like an hourglass shape yeah and then those status effects are, are these chevrons that kind of can be sequentially stacked uh so you can have more than one status effect on a character at a time and just visually see okay it's so and so's turn they're dealing with being immobilized and cursed and this yeah. other thing is happening or so and so is now strong and hits for more damage um, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's fun because the status effects are as crafted as the characters are. Mm -hmm. Um, the game really, the heart of it is being able to pick three different Disney and Pixar characters and put them on a team, no matter whether they feel like they go together or not. You can put Maleficent with Mickey and Demona from yep. Gargoyles and just put them on your team, put them in the arena and battle head to head. Uh, and with each character playing in a way that feels loyal to that character, uh, you can get a feel for what to expect from that character. Sully is a big protector. He's a big tank paladin sort of personality. Yeah. That's exactly what he does in the mobile game. Um, Demona from Gargoyles, if you remember the, the series from the, the 90s, she was very reckless and, and sort of wrathful. And that's what she does in the game. She doesn't care if she's hurting her allies when she deals damage. She just wants to deal a lot of damage. Um, and I had a lot of fun sort of building out and illustrating those personalities with game mechanics. Do you create the mechanic and then layer the personality on top? Or do you take the personality and say, okay, I have to create a mechanic that fits that? How, which comes kind of the egg or the chicken? It's in that more regard? of the latter. Uh, okay. But there are stages where we'll look at development and we're a couple of expansions in now and yeah. we're designing more of them. And we'll look at the the game and say, you know, what we need right now is a character that can do X, Y, and Z. Z yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm in Southern California. <laughs> a different alphabet here. Um, and, and so sometimes it's a matter of uh, finding a character that fits a role and a, a niche and an opening in the game. But mostly it's uh, using characters that we know and love and that are interesting and that are going to kind of build out a palette. Um, and expandable, so, quite frankly, right? Because again, you've got very, these expansion you guys came up with where, um, again, I'll show this on screen here. We've got um, your uh, your thrills and uh, and chills thrills expansion, and chills. Yeah. Uh, which has some of the scarier creatures, I guess, from, uh, from the Disney uh, Pixar world. Oh yeah, uh, I love the Horned King. He's great. 
Yeah, yeah, I got him on screen here. It was really cool. And then also the uh, the turning the tide, right? Epic alliances, yep. or then you have Moana character and so forth in there, and Lilo and Stitch, and you know some Pirates of the Caribbean characters. So, I mean, it's you've got the platform, right? Where now you can just keep building out and adding different characters, different personalities. Uh, I guess you could expand this thing. Uh, I hate to say infinitely, but certainly there's different waves you can come with new characters yeah. and and as disney expands its properties right then you can yep. add even more characters on um there's uh i guess obviously this leads itself to tournament style uh, uh you know people obviously when they're in a mobile environment very tournament style and the but i think you guys have something come up as well where you're taking this kind of the next step can you tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah over the next couple of months uh through 2023 and leading up to gen con uh 2023 we're going to be running a tournament series called the Ops Road to Gen Con. And it's a 10-city stop. Uh, we're going to be uh, doing stops in Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Anaheim, Orlando, Rochester, New York, a number of other uh, cities. Uh, and really, it's a sort of a celebration of, of this game and, yeah. and competitive play. Uh, we've got all kinds of cool prizes at each of the stops. I'm actually reading here that the semifinalist with the highest win percentage will receive an airfare, a hotel, and a badge to uh, Gen Con 2023. And if you win the the pass to Gen Con, you get an automatic seat uh, at the table for the World Championship. Oh, that's crazy! Are, are you personally going to be there? Like, are you going to be there signing? I'm copies going to be or there for like a that, bunch or? of the stops. Yeah. Uh, I sign copies and yeah. and give you know rulings when there's there's uh, questions about the rules. Yeah. Um, so this is it's a first for me running. Not just you know, the the game, but but helping to organize and run such a big tournament experience. It's got to be so exciting for you, eh, to be part it's, of everything from like the iteration, the ideation of this, all the way through to now when you have something that huge, right? To be kind of part of it on on a larger scale too, and part of the the, the rollout. It's just got to be uh, exciting for you, I guess. Yeah. Eh? Oh, it's it's thrilling and terrifying all at once. <laughs> And then, you know, that's on a large scale, but talking about like even back to small scale, because I'm sure you're constantly developing for the op, right? Um, how do you uh, do your your playtesting now? Is it still, you know, post-COVID still kind of in a digital format or do you have any local game groups that you even are, are a part of? For my game, I've stuck largely to digital playtesting. Um we're able to reach out to playtesters all over the place rather than just the greater San Diego area. Sure. And it allows us to set up games whenever players are available. So if you can go on, if you go onto our discord uh, channel and you're a playtester, you've got access to the, the playtesting forums there. You can just say, Hey, I'm available on Thursday night from this time to that time. Who's up for a game and people will jump in and you'll play your games and you fill out your form afterwards and submit it to me. And I get all this data that I can use to, you know, both quantitatively and qualitatively yeah. look at characters and say, oh, they need a little more of this, they need a little less of that, and we need to change the victory point value of this one or the hit point value of that one. Um, and it's been great that way. Oh, that's cool. And are you a participant in that, or is it more kind of uh, almost like blind playtesting and you're behind the kind of the glass, test, so to speak? For for the sheer number of playtests that we do, Disney Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliances, we've had somewhere in the range of 300 games played for wow. playtesting purposes. And that's, you know, multiple expansions included. Sure. Um, I can't play in 300 of them. <laughs> so I rely on my playtesters to to play the game uh, at a high level and then give me notes and feedback. And yeah. I'll jump into to forums on Discord with them and just chat for sometimes hours. Don't tell my boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but like it's been great working with the the playtesting community that way yeah well sean i want to wish you all the best uh for this tournament coming up it sounds very exciting i hope to see you guys at gen con uh for people that want to check out uh this game and the other games and expansions you guys are working on they can go to the op.games yep. all the information is there and then where lastly can they can they find out more about the tournament uh well the op.games is the place to go. Uh, okay. We'll be making uh, even more announcements soon uh, to, to really give some some more really cool details about that series. Uh, but you can follow us on social at uh, at the op.games, or sorry, at the op games. And there'll be announcements over the next few months to, to fill you in more on that. Well, that's awesome. All right, my friend. I hope to see you there. You take care. All right, Cheers. you too. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.